Today's reading is from Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dripped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which he will use to strike down nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of King and Lord of Lords. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jedediah Kim, and I'm one of the pastors of Pine Lake Covenant Church. I'm so glad to be with you in this way on Sunday morning. And I just want to say I miss you. I see you. I love you. I care for you. And uh, I miss this. I miss coming together and, um, you know, having sound checks and video checks and band rehearsal and grabbing donut and coffee and greeting people, grabbing our name tags and sitting together and singing together and praying together. And I just miss it. I miss the energy. I miss seeing my daughter run around and come on stage. And I miss seeing all of your faces as we greet one another and catch up on the week and all the awkward conversations. Um, I miss it. And I know that this week has been particularly tough as we have heard about new restrictions being placed on because of COVID and it um, spreading across our country. The numbers are higher than they've ever been. Uh, I, I just want you to know um, that we're taking the virus seriously because lives have been lost. We, we know people in our church who have had friends and family members um, and people in our church who've been affected. Like, this is a real thing. And so be safe out there. Wear your mask. Take the proper precautions. Um, I know that it's difficult and hard for us not to be together. Uh, like I said, I miss you. Um, but I love and care for you enough that we're going to do all that we can do um, to ensure that we are caring for each other as family in Christ. And so this week has been kind of rough. The whole world has been kind of carrying a different kind of weight. And um, I just want you to know that you're not alone in that. And even the fact that I can see you in this virtual way and you can see me and we can connect in this way. And, and if you hop on Encore, we can actually talk to each other and connect and be with each other. Um, that That is something. Um, it's not the best thing, but, but you know... Um, before the internet, it wouldn't have been possible to even connect in this way. And so I'm grateful for technology that allows us to connect. And I'm grateful for you and for your family. And um, I'm, I'm thankful that you're here, that I'm here. Well, this morning, I get the honor and privilege of wrapping up the sermon series, No Other King. I love preaching. I love talking. And this particular season has been an important one. I remember when Pastor Shannon and I sat down and we started talking about, well, what do we want to talk about? And especially with November coming around, like, what is it that we want to help our church center um, itself in? And, and we said, you know what? What about the idea of Jesus and the fact that as people of God, there is no other king no other king that we worship, no other king that we follow, no other king that we give our allegiance to. He is the only one. And I get to preach um, out of a passage that I have never preached out of before. 
Um, I've been preaching since I was 13, and so I've preached quite a bit, but I haven't preached um, this particular text in Revelation, and I haven't preached many sermons out of Revelation. And so I'm really, really excited um, to kind of wrap up this sermon series and to share with you some reflections that I had about this particular passage that Luke just read for us um, not too long ago. And so uh, I think the first thing that I want to start with as I talk about this passage is that I want to talk a bit about Revelation. And the first thing that I want to say about Revelation is that I'm not going to solve it all for you today. So all of you out there who love Revelation and who are like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited that we're in the book of Revelation. Um, what is he going to say? Well, I'm going to kind of leave it a mystery. I'm going to kind of leave it open. Uh, there are some things that Revelation is, and there are some things that Revelation is not. And I feel like before we jump into this passage, and before we look at uh, the invitation that I think God is bringing us to, we have the opportunity to say that Revelation is this, and Revelation is not this. So one thing we know that Revelation is, is that it is a part of our holy scriptures. And um, it is a vision that was given to John on the Isle of Patmos. And it has to do with what we in the church world call the end times. Um, or theology, the theology of the end times is what we call eschatology. Okay, It's just a big fancy word that means for the end of it all. And so Revelation has to do with the end of it all. Now some people have um, kind of taken exact meaning to prophetical uh, language and prophetical images and revelation. And they have said this is what it means. And I, and I know. I grew up reading all the Left Behind books. I grew up watching the movies with Kirk Cameron. Like I, I know all about that world. And I know what it means, right? And as I continued um, my training and theological studies and we looked at Revelation, you know, one of the things about Revelation that's really fascinating is that um, it could be uh, a vision that we're supposed to take literally and take in, in meaning that way, or it could be something that's broader and more figurative, right? It could be more metaphorical. Um, some people think that the letter itself or the vision itself was related to um, different things that were happening at the time of when it was written and that it was related to, um, you know, Nero and all the things that were happening in the church's history. And, and anyways, I, ju I just want to say that I'm not going to solve the mystery of Revelation for you today. Um, it is in our holy text. It is a vision that is given by God. It does speak about the end of things. Um, it may not be an exact recording of all that is going to happen. Uh, left behind may not be totally accurate. Um, it may not be, um, you know, uh, a thing that's already been done, like a code letter that was given in the historical record. Um, I think that what it has to offer us is actually a vision of hope. And, and a lot of people fear Revelation, right? When they read Revelation, there's a sense in which they say, I am so scared from this book because it's talking about dragons and it's talking about all these armies and all this stuff and the mark of the beast. And what, is that a chip that's going to be in my brain? Am I going to get the mark of the beast? If I get a vaccine, is that the mark of the beast? Uh, I don't want to follow the Antichrist. I don't want to be doomed to the lake of fire. I mean, there's so many things, right? And listen, um, I just want you to know that we don't have to fear. I do not believe that the book of Revelation was written so that the people of God would live in fear. I believe that the vision of Revelation was given to John so that the people of God could live in hope, in radical hope. 
I, I sincerely believe this, right? Um, that, the, that the book of Revelation, the vision of Revelation was given to John so that the people of God could live with radical hope. Radical hope that said no matter what is going on and no matter what we endure throughout the generations of the ages, no matter what we have to go through until Jesus comes back, we know and we have a glimpse, we have um, an image, right? Maybe not an exact image, but we have an image of the ending of the story. And, 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 I, and I really want to name that. We don't have to fear Revelation we can walk into it. We can still allow it to hold mystery and wonder. And we can allow us to see a glimpse, an image of things to come. And this morning in particular, because we're talking about no other king, I want this particular passage to help us to see an image of Jesus. An image of Jesus that we aren't used to seeing. Because I actually think that the images of Jesus that we have in Scripture are nothing like what was read for us in our passage this morning. Uh, let me kind of quickly go through it again, okay? It's talking about Jesus, the one who's described as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and um, there's lots of reasons why we know this is talking about Jesus, right? It's happening in the middle of the final battle. Um, it's the rider on the white horse who's called Faithful and True, you know, um, and, and it says that his name's the word of God. I mean, listen to this, right? I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose writer's called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. And he, he's dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. Right? We know this is talking about Jesus, right? Because in John 1, right? John writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made, and in him was life, and that life was a light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's talking about Jesus. Jesus who came into the world. So we know that this image in Revelation is about Jesus, right? His name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this written, King of kings and Lord of lords. You know, as I think about this passage... And as I think about the image that Revelation gives to us, an image that allows us to live with radical hope, the question is, what image do I see of Jesus in this passage? And what I see is an image that I do not see most often in Scripture. When I think of Jesus, right, we all think of the pictures of Jesus, or what has now become known as white Jesus, <laughs> All the depictions from the European artists, right, that make Jesus look white, even though he was um, brown. Uh, but, you know, he's, he's there with his folded praying hands, right? Or we see Jesus in a manger as a little baby. Or maybe we see Jesus by the water, right? We see him, but we see him in his human form. We see him in a form that is known to us through the gospel, through Mar Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We don't see him quite in his glorified form. 
This passage in Revelation gives us an image of Jesus that's radically different than most of the images that we would naturally think of. Think about that. When you think of Jesus or the images of Jesus, what are you thinking about? You're thinking about all the stories and the miracles and you're thinking about all the things that he did. Well, those images are him in human form, not in a form that looks like this. And it kind of reminds me, I was thinking about this, right? Like growing up, my favorite superhero was Superman. I love Superman. Now, I know that there are many people out there right? Um, who say that Batman is an incredible superhero and that Superman, you know, and there's this debate between which one is greater, right? Um, I love Superman. And there's, I could probably do a whole sermon series uh, about the lore of Superman and the theology that's found within Superman um, because it is really, really profound and allows us to see a metaphorical image of, uh, I think, Jesus in some ways, right? But here's the thing about Superman that's really, really shocking, okay, besides my love and besides the sermon series that I could do. The thing about Superman is that there are two images that we know mostly of Superman. The first one, of course, is the Superman, right, with the S on the chest, right? He's brave, he's strong, he's Superman, got his cape, you know, arms like this, you know, flying, all that stuff, right? Lasers coming out of his eyes. That's Superman. But the other image that we see of Superman is Clark Kent. Clark Kent. Uh, journalist, news reporter, right? Uh, hat, glasses, nerdy, you know, weak, you know, not Superman. Almost total opposite, right? Um, if you don't know anything about Superman, Clark Kent is Superman's alter ego. It's what he does as he goes around, like, trying to hide the fact that he's Superman. But because he's a news reporter, he's able to stay in the know about what's happening and respond accordingly. Well, this is what I realized as I looked at this passage. I realized that when we see this passage, it's almost like we get to see the Superman version of Jesus for a moment and not the Clark Kent version of Jesus. Now, here's what I mean by that, right? Like, I absolutely believe that in the incarnation, right, that when Jesus took on human flesh and human body, I absolutely believe, without a doubt, um, that he was fully man and fully God. That is sound theology. I'm not negating that at all. Philippians 2 makes that pretty clear, right, that he humbled himself and took on flesh, obeyed obedience until the cross. Like, we know that, Right? But that wasn't the form that Jesus was in from the beginning of the world. And it wasn't the form that we see here in Revelation. Um, all of that glory and all that power is enshrouded. And he is fully God, but he's also fully man. I mean, God felt hunger. God felt what it's like to be cold in the person of Jesus. You know, God felt what it was like to, to get a splinter while working in the carpenter shop with his dad, Joseph, earthly dad. He felt um, what it was to be tired. We see that, you know, um, what it is to be grieving. Jesus weeps in John eleven thirty five, and And in the Garden of Gethsemane, right, we see him over anguished at his sweat, right, and tears like, and blood all mixed together. That's the image we have. And it's kind of, in my opinion, like the Clark Kent version. It's like, it's like all of the images that we worship and we venerate and see are like the Clark Kent version of Jesus, but not the Superman version. 
Not the version where he's radiant and full of power and all of his glory. And John gives us, for a moment, a vision of Jesus when he's unveiled in all of his power and all of his glory and in all of his might. And when I look at this picture, when I see Jesus, this warrior, this king, You know, this person who judges and wages war with justice. When I see this person, right, that that has a sharp sword coming out of his mouth, this person who's named the word of God. There are two reflections that I have that I want to quickly share with you. And the first reflection that I want to share with you is that Jesus is powerful. Jesus is powerful. Let, let's not get it twisted, okay? Let's not, let's not be mistaken. We do not serve a weak savior, a weak king. The one that we follow and the one that we give our allegiance to is not a chump. He's not weak. He is powerful. When you look at the imagery that's on here, He's leading the armies of heaven and he's ruling with an iron scepter and he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. All the authority of heaven is not bound in human flesh in this image. It is at full glory in this final battle where he comes to destroy evil and injustice and to vanquish the enemy and the forces of the enemy. Our king, Jesus, is powerful. And I know, right? It's like, wait, wait, wait. But, but Jesus is also kind and he's merciful and he's gentle. You know, he's, he, he does, he's not emotional, you know? Like he's always the one who's not anxious and he's always mild-tempered, right? That's what we think when we think about Jesus. He's the one that says, let the children come unto me. And Jesus is like zen and really chill. Jesus is powerful. And if you're an enemy that is standing before this king, seeing this image, right? If you're part of the forces of evil in this final battle, you're terrified at this heavenly warrior. You're terrified at Jesus. This dichotomy that we sense, right? Even as I say this, kind of reminds me from um, a passage in one of my favorite books, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And and uh, Susan, one of the characters in the book, is going to be meeting Aslan, and Aslan is is the lion, the great lion, right? Um, I don't want to spoil too much of it if you don't know the story, but Aslan kind of represents like this like this Jesus character, this God character in the story. And uh, I love the conversation that Susan has with Mister Beaver, and this is a bit paraphrased, but she's going to meet him, right? And so. Um, Mr. Beaver says his statement, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And I love this response from Mr. Beaver. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. 
And see, this is what we see in Jesus that we don't see in the rulers of the earth and the rulers of the world. We see power that is surrounded by goodness. We see, we see similarly, right, in this Aslan image, that, that Aslan, this great lion who has power and who is dangerous, who is not safe, is good. And because he's good, right, we don't have to fear him and Susan doesn't have to fear him. And in the same way, when we see Jesus, right, don't, don't, don't wash down and water down your images of Jesus. Jesus is powerful. He is dangerous to, to the forces of evil and justice. Jesus is not safe, but he's good. And because he's good, and because he loves us, what we see in him, right, in, in, the, in the scriptures, and even now in this world, is a being who has all power but incredible restraint. And because of that restraint, I mean, I mean, think about it. Jesus right now, he speaks to you, he speaks to me, right? He speaks to us so we can hear in our spiritual hearts, right? In our spiritual ears, right? We can get a sense of him in our mind. If Jesus was to speak to you in the fullest decibel volume of his voice, do you really think that your human mind, your human ears could handle that? No. The son of God, this image of this powerful one, right? Because he is good, because he's loving, he tailors himself to us. And so so let's not um, mistake, right, the way that he orients himself to us and shows himself to us as a sign of his um, frailty or weakness. John is showing us in this image that Jesus is powerful, right? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And this is why Jesus is powerful. We do not have to fear him because he is good. The second reflection that I have, right, as I think about this passage, is that Jesus will have the final word. Jesus will have the final word. And um, this means a lot to me. I think this is, this is really part of one of the reasons of why this letter and this vision was given to John. You see, I, I, I believe that the Trinity knew that the church would suffer incredible persecution. And the early church, right, suffered incredible persecution. All the apostles died, you know, um, as martyrs, gruesome deaths. You know, some of them were um, quartered and some were hung upside down. And um, just, just, you can look at the historical record, you know. The church was persecuted, church has survived a lot in the last 2,000 years. Um, we've been through a lot of pandemic and plague and wars and um, depressions and recessions. And I mean, even in U.S. history alone, we've been through a lot. The world has been through a lot. And I think, <laughs> I really think Jesus knew that we needed some hope, that we needed something that would remind us that he's going to have the final word. And that's why we have this vision. Right, this image and this final battle of Jesus coming and overcoming um, all the forces of injustice and all the evil and all the forces of evil in the world. He comes and he addresses all of that. This King of Kings and this Lord of Lords. He comes and has 
the final word. He reigns. He defeats it all and he wins over all of it. And, and for me, it kind of um, reminds me of another movie that I love. Um, another story that I absolutely love. The first one, of course, was from C.S. Lewis, and this one's from J.R. Tolkien, The Lord of the Rings. One of our Christmas traditions that Sarah and I used to do before we had kids is that we would watch um, The Lord of the Rings every Christmas, and we would watch the extended edition of all three movies uh, in one day, in one sitting. You know, we would eat and take breaks for human breaks and things like that, but we watched the whole thing. And when you watch the whole thing like that, I mean, you really feel kind of some of the anguish of that story, right? This epic battle between good and evil. And when it feels like good's about to win, something happens. And when it feels like, you know, um, it, it, the, the good has some kind of a small victory, evil rises again. And it's like this, this long defeat, this long battle keeps going over and over and over and over and over again. And honestly, by the end of the movie, right, or after the 20 hours of sitting there watching this thing, you're kind of worn out. You've been through a lot emotionally. You've seen a lot. Um, and, and you've kind of felt it as you've watched these characters, right? And you're like, is this ever going to end? Is this struggle ever going to end? But then when you get to that final battle, I wish I could show it to you right now, but I can't because of copyright issues. But when you get to that final battle... And the ring falls into Mount Doom. And the eye of Sauron feels that defeat and is broken. Oh, man. It's so epic what happens in that moment. It's so epic um, what you see in the faces of those characters and those who are on the battlefield. Tons of different emotions. Finally, right? Um, evil has fallen and good has the final word. And this feeling that you get when you see that, I think it's just a small glimmer of what we're going to experience one day when we see this Jesus, this image, this revelation, this prophetic image come to fullness of life. We're going to see Jesus have the final word. It's not going to be systemic racism or... Um, death or a pandemic or recession famine or plague um, it's not going to be depression it's not going to be anxiety or loneliness or suicide uh, it's not going to be addiction it's not going to be um, the evil that we see in the world that, that, that results in Horrible things like human trafficking and um, exploitation of people and image bearers. All of the evil in the world. It's not going to be Satan and his minions. It's not going to be the dark forces that we are at war against. That's all true. Those things are not going to have the final word. And these feelings of separation and loss and grief that we feel right now that we're living in, they are real and it hurts. It hurts because we've lost jobs. We've lost loved ones. It hurts because we've lost the ability to connect. It hurts because of many different reasons. We're just tired. We're just so tired. We're so tired. Our kids are tired of the virtual thing, having to pivot, having to shift, having to be open, having to close. You know, 
the ability to have space again, the ability to just have some solitude. We can't, we can't have those things, right? I know, I know. There's so many things that we're all feeling. Uh, bored. We're so bored. We're so bored. Okay, I don't have any more hobbies to do, I heard someone said. I've, I've done all of the pandemic things that I've wanted to do. And all of those things, right? A loss of loved ones, a loss of friends because of COVID. 250,000 lives and still counting. You know, millions and millions of cases here in the U.S. alone. All of that will not have the final word. And I really believe that this image was given to us so that you and I will know that Jesus, the King, will have the final word. And I don't know about you, but that moves me. It gives me hope. It tells me that we can continue to fight on, that we can continue to speak for those on the margins that we can continue to be patient and we can continue to try our best and show grace to each other, that we can continue to put on a mask and wait, that we can continue to pray and hope, to love our neighbor, to speak against injustice because his kingdom, right, is coming. We're living in it now. We're in that already and not yet. Many of you who've been in the church for a long time, you know what I'm talking about when I say that. Right when Jesus came in and he said, the kingdom of God is here. It's here. We're a part of that. We get to live into it. We get to build into that right now with him in partnership. But the fullness of it has not come yet. Right? You hear this phrase in scripture a lot. When the fullness of time has come. My friends, my brothers and sisters. When the fullness of time comes and we see this Jesus on this white horse riding out to us. He will have the last word. Not COVID. Not Trump. Not Biden. Not any other world ruler. Not Satan. Not the lies we hear. Not disease and injustice. But Jesus, the King, will have the final word. So where are you this morning? And what are you experiencing? And what's the image of Jesus that you see? You know, as we go into Advent, we're going to be leaning into the incarnation, right? All of Godhood come in human form as a babe to represent the hope and longing of the world. It's such a wonderful season. It's a beautiful season. It's so apropos for where we are right now as a people. But this morning, right now, where are you? I want to tell you that Jesus is powerful. He's so powerful. And the reason why you can trust him and the reason why you can give your life to him and the reason why you can lean on him is because he is good. And that's why he's safe. And that's why he's a refuge. And that's why he is a source of comfort and hope for you and for me. You know, maybe you're there and and you've never given your life to Jesus before. Well, you can do that because he's the king, I tell you, and he's awesome. The second thing, you know, for you out there, if you're struggling and if you're just tired and going through different things, I want you to know that Jesus will have the final word. Not any of the circumstances we're in, not anything we're going through. 
but Jesus the King, the rider on the white horse, will have the final word. That victorious King, the mighty ruler of heaven's armies, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's going to be the one in the end. And because you have that image, maybe you can fight a little bit more. Maybe you can hold on a little bit more. Maybe you can pray and hope and wait and suffer a little bit more. Because you know what's going to happen in the end. Evil will fall. Pain will cease. Tears will go away. And our King Jesus will have the final word. Wherever you are, I want you to know that Jesus, our King, is with you. He loves you. He's given his life for you. He came 2,000 years ago. And we're going to be hearing this a lot for the next four weeks in Advent. But he is coming again. We look forward to that with hope. We long for that. But today, as we look at this image in Revelation, we remember that Jesus is king. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Let me pray for us this morning. Oh Lord Jesus, you are powerful, you are strong, but you are good. And because you are good, we can trust in you, we can rest in you, we can hold on to you because we know that you will keep us. And so Lord, I I come before you now. And I give you all of myself. I submit myself to you. For you are my king. And Lord, for my friends this morning who are seeing this message and hearing this, would you encourage each one? Remind them of your power. Remind them that you're going to have the final word. Remind them of this image that allows them to see you and have a hope. So God, we look to you. We love you. We give our allegiance to you and our lives to you. In your powerful name, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.